so great to hear all the things that you've been sharing. And, you know, sometimes you just have to hang on in there, don't you? So I'm doing the reading first. It's a reading from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's dearest plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message of God as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, what a scripture to end this letter with. You know, I don't know about you, but so these military analogies in Paul's writing, I mean, he's talking about a huge battle going on. He's talking about a battle in spheres far beyond this earth. You know, we hear of wars and all sorts of weapons being sold and bought everywhere. But Paul is talking about a huge battle, a battle far bigger than that. And I think what he's referring to is a battle that is far beyond a battle around resources and power structures. But it is a battle that wages right here in our minds. And I'm not just talking about mental health this morning, even though that is a huge battleground. 1.1 billion people uh, worldwide had a mental or substance use disorder in 2016. That's a, a big amount of people. Uh, but I think there is a wide battle that ranges in our mind. And I think Proverbs picks it up uh, when the writer there says, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, and then he continues, but it ends in death. And there's always a way that seems right. And there are all these things that are popping up in life, and we're looking at them, and suddenly we think, oh, I've got a solution. Let's try this. Let's call sickness health. Let's call poverty all right. Let's call unemployment bearable. Let's uh, call uh, homelessness just a social ill, you know, and move on swiftly. 
And we're trying to sort things out in our own strength, don't we? And there are a lot of good people who are trying their hardest and often come up with brilliant solutions. It's not like every human thought is futile or even evil or bad. This is not what Paul is saying, but what he's saying is that the, the problems and the battles are too big for us, and therefore something else needs to happen. You know, we can't just float through life independently. And if we're thinking back to what we've heard through the Ephesians, and just last Sunday when Janie preached so wonderfully about this scripture just beforehand, when she talked about our identity in Christ, I think then this is really what I want to pick up on uh, as the final word here, because the final word is, of course, be. And that's the first one, you know. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And we can go home after that already. We had heard already enough. Because being is the first thing that, that Paul is calling us to. And, you know, Janie talked about the ontological change that happens. So, so the change in our being when we're baptized. Uh, you know, don't know whether you remember that when you went down into the water and came up. It wasn't just that you were wet, but something else had happened. Christ moved in. And Christ is still there in this temple, and he's inside of you. And Paul's been speaking and going on about this throughout the whole book and is saying, just remember who you are. Don't forget it. And when you remember who you are, then just start you know, orienting all your thinking towards who Christ is inside of you. It's not just that you suddenly have to be a good person and try and do that in your own strength. No, he's saying be strong, not in yourself. He's not calling Christians to be heroes suddenly and to move through life very easily and smoothly and trying to be good in all situations. We know how broken we are and we know how struggling uh, this life is and can be. And Paul is not trying to hide that from these Christians in Ephesus. He's not trying to kind of speak up to them as if he needs to pump them up as some Christian hero figure, you know, that is sort of somehow Superman. This is not what Paul is trying to do. He's just saying, look, just learn to be. Learn to be who you are. Thomas Aquinas, an old uh, teacher of the church, he talked about being a lot. Beings are ca characterized by distinction between essence and existence. God exists out of himself. This is quite interesting, really, to me at least. I don't know if you find it interesting. But, um, you know, I mean, God just exists out of himself. You don't exist out of yourself. You've been created. You come from someone. But God isn't a being. God is being himself. And all beings after him that he's created are miraculously drawn towards being, of course, because this is where we find our truest identity and our, our life-giving force in himself. Man without God is, is just a, a piece of creation, of course, but bereft of power, bereft of a father, bereft of connection, and bereft of relationship. So what is left is just a, a false image of what you were meant to be. So he is being. And of course, we have our being in a certain form. And 
Jesus, uh, you know, is the new Adam. And Paul talks about this, the, the old Adam and the new Adam, the old Adam selfishness, being autonomous, trying to work it out himself, basically. And in Christ, the new Adam becomes the selflessness, the dependence on God, the surrender to love. So be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. If you think back a few letters you know, to the Second Corinthians, chapter 10, there Paul talks also about this battle. And he says, you know, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy, these, uh, destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There is a battle waging in arguments in our minds, always trying to work things out. And then later on in this chapter, Paul talks about the fact that he tried to argue with God and pray and, and say, God, please help me out of my difficult circumstances. Help me and free me from the stuff that I'm struggling with. And Jesus is speaking to him. And it's printed in red nicely in my Bible because it's a red letter edition, you know. And so you always notice immediately when Jesus speaks. Did you know that Jesus spoke in 2 Corinthians? So there he says, Jesus says, My grace is all you need, and my power works best in incompetence. Huh? No, that's not what it says. In weakness, you were right. And so why is it that we're so afraid of being weak? And why is it that we're trying to flee this stuff so desperately? Why is it that we're trying to get out of the weak spot in order to be and appear strong and as people who've got it all together? I have to confess to you, I mean, talking about army, it, it kind of reminded me of my army days, which is a long time ago, but I was uh, being deployed in, a, um, in the ambulance service in the army. So, um, you know, we were camping out overnight. I was partially helping train new recruits through their basic training, and that was my job. And so I knew that my place during the night shifts and night watches was where? Of course, on the bed in the back of the ambulance truck, which was nice and warm, <laughs> while all my men were outside in the cold. <laughs> you know, I stand strong that this is <laughs> my place. And so I was lying there on, on the bed, and the heating was purring away, and I was enjoying the sweet dreams, and suddenly I felt this leather glove being slapped around my face. <laughs> As the staff sergeant thought, that was not my place, because he firmly believed it was his place. <laughs> so I was booted out of the back of this lovely warm van and had to spend the rest of the night with uh, those pure recruits, uh, poor, I mean recruits, there were few or not, I don't know. And, um, you know, there we had to withstand the cold and, and suffered through the night, please, or, you know, that would be the right response right now. <laughs> Compassion, thank you. But the, the fact is, it is a very human thing to seek comfort to try to get out of the, the, the tight spot, you know, even though that's not a very good example, but I didn't have another one, so <laughs> forgive me. Okay, <laughs> there we go. But we just keep going, you know, just keep going. But the fact is this, you know, that Paul is saying, well, 
he's not quite saying seek the weak spot, but you know, there's so many weak spots that you might as well learn to live in them in a new way. And the way to live in them is that you, first of all, find your being in Christ, then your strength in the Lord and in His mighty power, and that changes everything. Because suddenly it is Christ in you who has the power to overcome, and you are reacting from that point that He is inside of you, which is an amazing uh, gift to have. You see, when people are like the apostles who can be in prison one day and at a banquet the next day and still smile, just imagine what that kind of life offers you. Because suddenly it is not the outward things that uh, dictate whether you are in a good mood or not. You know, suddenly the people around you haven't, uh, or appearing to have the burden to make your day good. You know, I mean, if you go to the post office and, and the person grunts at you and suddenly your day is miserable, I mean, that's a poor situation to be in, don't you think? Or if your boss suddenly grunts at you and uh, challenges you and puts even more work on you, and suddenly your day becomes really bad, you know? That's not, that's not a good place. Do you think Jesus walked around like this? Oh, another Pharisee, I better go this way, you know? <laughs> a sad, you see, and then, you know, Again, another way, no. He confronted the people right there. They were even pushing him right to the edge of the mountain, ready to throw him off. And he said, look, guys, I'm not finished yet. Let me just go through. <laughs> you know, thank you very much. Because he was connected to a power. He had the Holy Spirit inside of him, and he walked in that authority. And Paul is calling the church to walk in the same authority, and he's linking it to a very easy, memorable uh, kind of armor system. Everybody knew the Romans. They were hanging around everywhere, every street corner, and they usually looked the same uniforms. You know, they had these little skirts on and a bit of leather hanging there and a bit of breastplate, and it's a massive shield. It was about two, a third bigger than themselves. And um, a helmet on the head, you know, and a sword dangling somewhere. And Paul thought, well, that's a good example. Let me use this. But what he's not saying is, I'm training all the Christians to be individual heroes. But he's speaking to the church. And this is very much corporate scripture. And he's saying, look, I'm not calling you to be single warriors, all strong in your own strength. But I'm calling you to a warrior body that stays together and knows how to work this strength thing in being in Christ and staying in Christ which is a huge relief, really, because it means that you don't have to be somehow this Christian muscle man or woman, you know? But you have to be part of this Christian muscle church. So there we go. Now let's, let's look at the, um, the weaponry that he's talking about. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. He's talking about resistance, but he's not talking about becoming a static church. A resistant church is not a static place. A resistant church knows what temptation is like, but knows who's inside of them. And saying, well, Christ in me is not going down that road. Christ in me is doing something else. So, then after the battle, you will be still be standing firm. Stand your ground 
put, putting on the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth, of course, you know what happens, why we wear a belt. Usually we wear a belt so the trousers don't fall down, right? That's correct. Now, it would be rather sh shameful if my trousers would fall down, you know? Um, it's all about context. In the swimming pool, it probably wouldn't be so, uh, but, you know, here it would be. It's not appropriate, which is right. Now, the belt, you know, we put all sorts of belts around us to cover up shame, you know? All sorts of things, trying to keep, you know, others from not seeing us shamefully exposed. But this is not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the Roman belt, who's hitching up the skirt so that you can run. See, there's a difference. Because Christ has taken your shame away. You don't have to cover up. You can be open. Okay, there are points of openness, you know, I must say. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to blurt around to everyone all the things you're struggling with. But it's good to find a brother, a sister somewhere that you can trust in and, say, and be open with. And, and pray together and receive that forgiveness and, and release from shame. That's one thing. But the belt that Paul is talking about here is one that makes you ready to run. You see, the Roman skirts were quite long if they didn't have a belt on, and you would fall over if you, if you would try to run in them. But Paul is saying this church needs to be agile. It needs to be mobile. It needs to be able to hitch up the skirt, put a belt around, and be able to walk as soon as the church becomes static, becomes enshrined in its forms, and not fit to engage with the context it is set in, then we're in trouble. And Paul is saying, you know, if you want to be able to resist here, then put on the belt of truth. And truth is, is a person. It's not just a set of dogmas. And Paul is not coming out here with A, B, C, and D, but he's saying, you know, Jesus is around you. And Jesus helps you to run. And Jesus is here in this church, and it helps this, he helps this church to run. And the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, what is it that you hide behind? There are all sorts of armors that we can put on, you know. And I think it's good to realize that armors where nobody can come through and nobody can get to know you and nobody can really see who you are, that's not a good thing, and that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not trying to tell us to become turtles, you know, where the head goes in and, you know, nobody can really know you. No, be vulnerable, that's fine. Be open about things, that's good as well, in the right place. But when it comes to it, when the attack comes from the outside against who you are in Christ and who made you, who restored the right standing with God in your life, then it is important to put on the right thing. So the armor that protects your salvation, that righteousness that God has given for you. And the enemy is always trying to put that, uh, you know, attack that part in us. Are you really accepted? Are you really loved by God? Is it really true? And if you're not secure and fully firm, knowing in your heart of hearts that Jesus has redeemed you and given you a new life, then you're in a very, very dangerous and vulnerable place. He talks about the shoes of readiness to preach the gospel or the shoes, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, of peace. Well, how does it say here? For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. 
Now, what, are the, what is the good news that you bring to people? What is it that you actually share with folks? You know, one of the things I think that people need to hear is not just Jesus died for them on the cross to forgive their sins. That's, that's part of it. But another huge part of it is that Jesus actually stayed on the cross long enough and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You see, the love of enemy is, is so intrinsic in this gospel, so strong in this gospel. The ability to stand in this world and act differently, to have a different imagination to the attacks around us. What a gospel it is. It is truly a gospel of peace. When people try to hit you, that you sort of show them another spot where they can hit. Now, is, is that really the Christian response to the church? Is that something that God calls his church to be in? Yes, because God wants his church to be free from the fear of death. And if you're free from the fear of death, I think at this moment, when, when you overcome the, the point where you constantly fret about, what if others overtake me? What if others step on me? What if others, you know, I need to step on others in order to climb up? This is what the world teaches, because the world is afraid. But God is looking at his church and saying, look at Jesus on the cross. This wasn't the end of the story. Resurrection is the end of the story. And resurrection comes when? After death. So you don't be afraid. You know, there will come a point, and God is speaking to his church and saying, there will come a point when death is overcome. In Christ, it, it is overcome. And Paul is saying, this is the gospel of peace, that you know that death is not the end. So respond differently to death. Don't be afraid when death is around you, because it's not the end. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, faith is something really important. I need to be finished in a minute, don't I? Tell me, what is it? It's 44 now. Okay, entire service by 12 o'clock. Now, I'm talking about faith here, which is very, very important. You know, I've told you the story before, how God has spoken to, to us as a family and said, do you want to learn to trust me in new ways? Now, we said yes at the time, and that's six years ago when we, when we said that. And we haven't been lacking opportunities to learn to trust God since, ever since. You know, God has a way of stretching, of pulling, of putting you in situations. You know, you think you're in a house, you just settle, you just unpack the boxes, you know you've got to move out again. You have to find another place. You are in a situation in your job, you think you're settled, and then another challenge comes on top and says, no, I want you to do this now as well. You know, you think you, your kids are just, you know, in the right places, all over the place, you know, and suddenly, no, they need to find also. Move this, there, and there. So it's, it's a constant you know, strain and God pulling and God stretching. And you know how good challenges are? Yes, you think. <laughs> I know how good they are. Faith always tells the story best afterwards. It's always not so easy to tell the story when you're in the middle of it. But I want to remind you that the shield of faith helps you in those situations. And think about it. Paul is talking to his church, and he's talking to us corporately, put on the shield of faith. That means all of us put the shield on. And I said, the shield is a third bigger than yourself, so you cover somebody else as well. And do you remember those times in history books when you learned about Romans and how they marched with, with shields all over themselves, and, and they marched forward, and they were covering one another? 
Faith is a corporate thing. It's not an individual thing. I know we are so into this individualism. I wish we could free ourselves from that sometimes. But just remember how important it is that your neighbor who's sitting next to you has got that extra faith that covers you as well. So that when your strength is low, when you're feeling unprotected, when you're feeling, I'm so stretched here, I don't know how much I can trust God anymore, that you have somebody with you putting his arms around you, her arms around you, and saying, come on, let's walk together. I believe that God will bring us through. I think this is so important, church, that we can know this, how important it is to be church together. It's not just that we think, oh, which service shall I go to? Oh, it's nice. Oh, today it wasn't so nice. Or oh, maybe tomorrow it'll be better. You know, this is so irrelevant. You carry Christ inside of you. Somebody else carries Christ as well inside of them sitting next to you. Now, you see, Christ in you is the hope of his character to be seen in this world. So, you know, the person next to you is the closest you can get to Christ to be seen in this moment. Now, if you're weak and if you're struggling with something, who do you go to? You go to Christ. So how do you get to Christ? Maybe just through the person next to you by saying, can you help me here? Don't be too proud to ask for help. Don't be too ashamed or too, af too afraid just to, to, to kind of knock on your neighbor's door and say, you know, can we go through this together? We don't have to be these heroes by ourselves. Okay, that's the shield of faith. The salvation as your helmet. Now, what does the helmet do? It covers what part of the body? The head. Yes, your pretty head. Now, it's so important that your head is covered. Why is it so important? Because it's the center where everything goes on. Now, salvation. Just be reminded that in all the schemes that you're thinking up to get you out of any situations, the helmet of salvation, the salvation is the remembrance that you have a savior, that you were at some point swimming in the sea and all that could be seen was your hand reaching out, you know, and nothing else. You know, saving lives at sea, have you ever watched it? Exciting stuff, you know, BBC, good program, you know. You know, anyway, there are these guys always going across the water in their speedboats and all they're looking for is that little hand. You know, hopefully a bit more than that, but you know, and they have a way of spotting these things, and then they pull the person out, and then CPR and whatnot, you know, and back to life again, and it's been a good program. But you know what? The helmet of salvation reminds you that you were once that person underwater just with your hand showing, and Christ reaching in and pulling you out and putting you onto a solid ground. Don't ever forget that, because when you forget that, you're in, in trouble, because what you're likely to do is, you know, take the helmet off and say, I can think for myself. And then we're back to Proverbs where it says, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man and a woman. You always have to be so careful these days or how you preach. So anyway, and then Paul goes and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the Bible, we know, you know, some have it on our phones. I like it in the proper version. You have to be able to color in. This is my coloring in book, you know? And I want to encourage you to really read the Bible and not just 
you know, a spiritual cookie in the morning, sort of a little verse for the day or something. But go through the chapters, look at it. What is God saying to me today? Share it with someone else. Find a spiritual running partner. Get into groups together and really share what God is saying and, to, and speaking to you. You've got the spirit inside of you who explains all of that stuff. You know, you don't need to study theology, but you can just ask the Holy Spirit, explain. Why is that important? It's the only offensive weapon that Paul is talking about here. Everything else is protective gear. This is actually something that is where you can do something with. A bit of bushcraft, spiritual bushcraft is, is what you need to do. And so use the Word of God. And how do you use it? You look at it and you say, what does he say? And what he says counts. And that's how you reprogram that thing under your helmet, your head. And then Paul talks about pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's what we're going to do tomorrow, by the way. And, you know, praying in the Spirit means that your prayers are Spirit-guided and Spirit-led. But it also means asking God to give you the gift of praying in the Spirit. There are all sorts of ways of how we can pray. And the Holy Spirit is so kind. He helps us when we do not know how to pray, and He gives us words to say. So can we pray together now? Hmm. Father, I thank you that you will help us to not fall into the trap to think for ourselves, but to be a church ready to move together, to be agile, to be equipped, and to stay firmly rooted in our identity in Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us to reach out to you in every moment of the day. And Father, it's good to know how we are weak, but in you we are strong. And Paul discovered this secret of living, of living in the challenge and I pray, Lord, that you help us in this highly professionalized and trained environment that we're in to keep it as simple as Paul did, to be stretched in our faith, to count on the supernatural, to count on your spirit moving and changing things, to count on the strength that you provide us with, that even when temptations come, we reach out to you and say, Christ in me isn't tempted. Thank you very much. I move on swiftly. Father, I pray that you will help us to, to be firmly rooted in the church, in Christ and with one another. And I pray that you help us to pray in the Spirit. In fact, um, I'm wondering whether we could do that right now. Um, you know, praying together as a church when we come together um, can be sometimes awkward. You turn to your neighbor and you find, hmm, I'm not sure, you know, how can I do this? But, you know, it doesn't matter how you formulate things. What matters is what's happening inside of your heart. So maybe we can turn to, together for a couple of minutes. We, we, we know that there are certain things going on in the church, how people are struggling with illnesses, People are struggling with life-threatening situations. We've just heard this morning, 
You know, we know there are certain issues around our town, around our city. You know, if you go down the high street, we see homelessness, we see all sorts of situations. Maybe we can take just two or three situations and lift them up before the Lord and just pray in the Spirit. Can we do this together? Just turn to one another. I think it's good to pray when we come together as a church.